Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, uh, turn with me to a little short book at the end of the New Testament called Hebrews. You know, just go right, and just before you hit Revelation, you'll get to Hebrews somewhere. And uh, you can meet me there in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I'm just doing one verse today. One verse. Some of you are like, great, it won't be here an hour and a half. That's fantastic. You just made my day. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and this is what the verse says. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, some of you may have some other translations, and it sounds pretty similar, but I'm just going to pick one that I like. The the NIV says this, um, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to make, to intercede for them. Now, this verse is one of the hidden gems in the Bible. I mean, it's up there with John 3.16, uh, Romans 8.28, often overlooked, and yet it captures the essence of the entire ministry of Jesus. And some of you might be thinking, hey, hang on, you're taking us to a book I haven't been to in about 15 years, dropping me right in the middle of the book. And, and with no context, and you want me to get something out of this, I mean, the, the verse even starts with therefore. I don't even know what the therefore is. Okay, let me address that right away. Um, here's the context to what we're, what we're getting at. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who this is, uh, became aware that a bunch of Jewish Christians who were um, being persecuted for their faith, under fire for their faith, were starting to think about leaving Jesus altogether. The idea got in their heads. Hey, you know what? It was so much easier when we were just doing what we'd always done as Jews, going to the temple, life under Moses. And he's writing here, no, no, no. You you can't go from gold to copper. So the whole letter, really it's a sermon, the entire sermon is one big case for why Jesus is better. Better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua's rest. He's a better sacrifice, a better tabernacle, and especially this, he's a better priest. And the writer's saying, it's all been leading to Jesus. It's all a picture of who he is and what he will do. And once you understand that, people, now you know why I'm telling you, you can't go back. That's why he then says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he, is all, he always lives to make intercession for them. So what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to take this verse phrase by phrase. Let me tell you, by the end of today, you're going to know this verse. I'm going to just take this verse phrase by phrase and I want to unlock the truths from it kind of talk to your heart a little bit about it. Um, To do that, I'm going to draw from a few other places in the book of Hebrews to fill out uh, some of the details. But let's just start with this very simple idea today, know the name. 
know the name. Do you see that first phrase at the beginning of verse 25? Consequently, he is able. Now, I've uh, been in ministry a long time, and I will tell you that probably the top 10 thing uh, to preach on is just that idea. He is able. I just get energized whenever I talk about it. Whenever I see other believers hearing anyone talk about the fact that God is able, I see the lift in their countenance as that happens. You need to know it shows up an awful lot in the New Testament. Just a sampling here. Uh, Paul knew it as a key to his strength. Romans 16, 25 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, he knew it as a comfort during prayer when he said in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. Jude knew it as his assurance. Jude 24 says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. It's the awesome reality that he is able. Now, The question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, do you know why he is able? I mean, it's one thing to say he is able. I mean, it actually, my worry is that Christians just start, you know, treating it as a glib comment to say at sort of church social potlucks, like, he is able, brother, he is able, yes. Do you know why? Do you know why he is able? Because I'm going to tell you, knowing that will carry you through some dark days. I'm just going to flip to the beginning of the book, chapter 1, for a summary of why he is able. I think it's sort of what I would call Jesus' resume, so to speak, in three verses. Um, You can follow along with me in your Bibles, or you could just listen. I'm just going to talk through these verses, but this is going to lead to a big point I want you to get. But let let me just unpack this a bit. Long ago, verse 1 of chapter 1, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, just think of all the ways God spoke in the Old Testament. He revealed himself through visions and dreams. He delivered messages and laws through angels. He spoke in audible voices or whispered out of a whirlwind. He appeared in a burning bush. He inspired a whole set of worship and praise songs uh, to be written about him. And, uh, but specifically, Specially ordained prophets were called to deliver his words to his people. Verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. That's what I want you to hear. These other prophets, they brought the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And note that phrase, in these last days. Jesus is the last revelation, period. He's the final and fulfilling revelation that the entire Bible has been leading to. You might ask, well, what about all those apostles who wrote all the rest of the New Testament after him? Yeah, they were his witnesses, and they were um, testifying, expounding, and applying Jesus, but they never superseded Jesus. And that's a really important point that you're going to need to know uh, someday when someone from another religion uh, talks to you and says something that sounds like, yeah, Jesus was great, we respect him too. 
what a great humanitarian, a great teacher. We respect that, but, but, but listen, um, the final important message from God came after Jesus uh, in our final prophet, insert name here, whatever that prophet is. Middle of verse 2 says, Whom he appointed the heir of all things, <clears throat> through whom also he created the world, And then down in the middle of verse 3, it says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, Jesus creates all things, and he upholds all things by his power. Some people hear that, and that kind of confuses them a little bit because they're like, you know, when I think about Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created, I'm not thinking about Jesus somehow. I I mean, I'm thinking about God the Father, really. Well, here the New Testament is giving us some greater light that Jesus was the specific instrument of creation. One of his disciples once, Thomas, you probably have know him as Doubting Thomas, he said to Jesus once, you know, you know, Jesus, if, if you could just show us the Father, that would be really great. I mean, like, if you could show us the Father, we'd really believe. I'd stop doubting if you would just show us the Father. And Jesus says something pretty incredible in John 14, 9, he says... Have I been with you so long and you don't know? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He's like, you want to know what the Father is like? Anything you need to know about the Father, you could know by looking at me. Now, I say all of that to say this. Sometimes we wonder, is God really forgiving? Well, look at Jesus. At times we doubt, is is God really loving and compassionate? Well, look at Jesus. Then sometimes we we wonder, well, if, if he's a loving God, is he also able to really be capable of anger and judgment? Well, Jesus was righteously both at times. And then deep down inside, we long to know, does God care for me? Does God care about the burdens that I'm carrying right now? Look at Jesus. Does he? Yes, he does. He is everything God wants you to know about him. And then finally, verse 3 After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is pretty pretty deep stuff. It's also very important. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant had a sacrifice system where priests repeatedly offered animals as sacrifices to cover over the sins of the people. It was a picture of what Jesus would ultimately do, but here's the deal. It couldn't do what Jesus did at the cross. It couldn't give eternal forgiveness. It didn't give a changed life. It didn't impart the Holy Spirit. It didn't cause a new heart. That's why the gospel, the good news, is so incredible. That Jesus offered himself just once as the perfect sacrifice for sins, and then he sat down. What does sitting down mean? It means you're done. It means it is uh, finished. 
He did a work at the cross for us that we could never do on our own. Making purification for sins is what it says. Without that, it says that we are unclean and unholy before God with no hope of acceptance. But I'm telling you, if you have a relationship with Jesus today, this is done for you. That's what forgiveness of sins is all about. Do you know what the real difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world really comes down to? It's very simple. It's not complicated. All other religions and their prophets teach obey, then acceptance. Jesus teaches acceptance, then obey. That's it. All the other religions in some way, some shape or form say, here are the rules, here are the rituals, here's the way of life that you should conform to, and if you do these, maybe at some point you'll be accept, maybe you'll be acceptable before God. Sadly, even some professing Christians fall into this religious trap themselves and just think they're like hamsters on a treadmill, man. They're just like, if I just work hard enough, maybe I'll be able to earn God's acceptance of me. Here's the problem with religion, okay? If, it, if God's acceptance is all based on, on your performance, then your heart is either going to be ruled by one of two things. On the one hand, it could be ruled by guilt and fear because you know you dropped the ball. On the other hand, it could be ruled by pride because you think you're righteous because of what you've done. Either way, both are dead ends. And then Jesus, though, he reverses it. He says, your acceptance before God comes not not on what you do. It's on what I've done in your place if you embrace me by faith. And that's going to lead to, must lead to, has to lead to, will lead to, if you're really in me, to a life that reflects that. Know the name. Know the name. That's where it starts. Know the name. Do, Do you? Do you know the name? Not factually. I'm not talking that way. I'm talking about personally. Do you know it? If not, let's talk about that. Here's the second thing today. Experience his power. Experience his power. Look back at verse, chapter 7, verse 25 now with me. Notice the text. Uh, the next phrase, it says, Consequently, he is able, pay attention to this now, to the uttermost, he is able to save to the uttermost. The NIV says he is able to save completely. The New American Standard says he is able to save forever. Uttermost, completely forever. Oh, which is the best translation? Yes, is the answer to that question. They're all fantastic. They all catch it. Just different nuances. I I would just put it this way. Jesus is able to save to the extreme. Now that's hope. There's no person Jesus can't reach. Do you know that? I mean, you just just look around this room here today. Isn't it an incredible thing to just realize that there's not a single person here sitting in any seat who Jesus can't penetrate? He is able to save to the uttermost. That means no matter where you've been in your life, he's able to save in that place. 
That means that no matter who you've become, through the choices that you've made, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Some of you are like, well, you don't know my story. I don't know about that. Sounds too good to be true. In fact, sadly, many times I've even heard people say when presented with the gospel and I've asked, you know, do you want to become a Christian? The answer is, I can't yet. I'm, I, I'm not ready. I'm not good enough yet. Missing the entire point that as long as you think about yourself that way, you're missing the point that he is good enough. The very essence of Christianity is to say, he is good enough, I am in him. And that's why you're here today, to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, let me also address some of you here that may be thinking, well, actually, I didn't even know I needed saving. Like, what are you talking about? The scriptures say the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I just just shoot straight with you here? Some straight up goods. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it says, well, it describes an appointment that everyone in this room, myself included, uh, has on our calendars. None of us can get out of it. It's non-negotiable. The verse says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You and I, we're going to die someday. That's truth. This isn't going on forever. And the Bible says that people live as slaves to the fear of it. Those who don't have a relationship with God, that in some way they're living with the, the, the fear of it in a kind of bondage. And, and what I've observed is that the world loves to pretend that this isn't going to happen. The world loves to pretend that this life we have is all there is, man. So make the best of it. Live the biggest, loudest, funnest, most amazing life you can because that's it. You know, it shows up in very interesting ways when you think that life is all there is and death is the end. Do you know there's actually enormous pressure on you to experience everything now, to experience the best of everything now, and you know what happens when you can't or you don't, or you see other people experiencing things you wish you could but can't, you live in bitterness. That's what the world offers. Or you start to panic when you look in the mirror and notice that you're aging. It's been happening to me a lot more these days. And, and there's this part of you that, that, that knows this is, this is part of the cycle. This is part of the process of life and dying. And for some people, this leads to um, a fanatical pursuit of youth um, through all sorts of things like crazy midlife crisis purchases and for some, some unusual ongoing plastic surgery journey uh, just on this pathway to finding youth, holding on to youth. Sometimes when you're older, you, you start obsessing about building a legacy because you're afraid of not being remembered. And then there's the fear of death for 
people, when they start to, for some, start to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe there really is a God. And just maybe this God's going to evaluate my life. And then there becomes this obsession to work off the bad by doing a bunch of good, okay? That's what the world is all about. Question. What have you done with Jesus Christ? What do you believe about him? Peter said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe that he died as a substitute to pay the penalty for your sins in your place? Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, it's as simple as that. You don't have to climb the ladder of some religious human performance hoping someday you might be approved. You can't earn it. But I can tell you what you can do. You can call on the name of the Lord. Receive Jesus. Turn from sin. Embrace him as Lord by faith. Your life will be changed for all eternity. Listen, it can happen to you. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Now, for those who have done this, who know exactly what I'm talking about here, this next point is going to be really life-giving for you. Here's the third thing today. Receive the invitation. Receive the invitation. Just continuing in verse 25, phrase by phrase. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Now, at this point, um, some of you might actually be thinking, you know, all this stuff you've been talking about so far, this stuff about Jesus, this, this stuff about salvation, like, I already got that. That's not my issue this morning. My issue this morning is I've got a relationship with the Lord, and it, it, it's not going so good. It, it's not feeling good. It feels, I mean, there was, there was a day my relationship with God felt like a lush green valley. Today it feels like a desert. Everywhere I look, all I see is cactus, man. I really want you to grab the two words in this phrase. They're so powerful. Draw near. Receive the invitation. The, this verb here uh, is in a tense that indicates ongoing action today. Not something that happened once in the past, but an ongoing invitation. It occurs six times in this book. It's dealing with access to God, communion with God, fellowship with God, all of those things all at once. And I'm telling you, drawing near is the critical spot in your relationship with God right now. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's the invitation. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, the simplest way for me to explain the throne of grace for you, to keep it really just on the level straight up, is it's the place of prayer. 
I mean, this is Christianity 101, prayer. And you know the funny thing is? We need to be reminded of it, and we need to be brought back to it every single week. The throne of grace. Why do you need that? You need it because you need two things from this verse. You need mercy. You need grace. So do I. You need mercy. What is mercy? It's God withholding something from you that you deserve. And what did we deserve? We deserved judgment. We deserved separation from God. Well, hang on. I, you know, if, if I got mercy at the cross when I became a Christian, why do I need it again? Well, what about, what about daily mercies? Every day I need mercy from the Lord. I'm just telling you, there's a day coming when you will see him face to face and he's going to reveal to you some of the mercies he poured into your life where something else could have happened but didn't because of those mercies and it's going to flat out blow your mind. Notice also grace to help. While mercy is God withholding what we deserve, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. They're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin, really. Mercy and grace. They're tightly linked. Grace is the good things that God gives us, like life and breath and health and strength, another day, peace, hope, wisdom, discernment, endurance. All of these things we need so desperately from the Lord. Do you need some things from the Lord today? Receive the invitation. Draw near to him. Don't don't run the other way. And oh, by the way, apparently when we draw near, we can do it with confidence, it says in the verse. Some of your translations say, come before him boldly. So, not sheepishly, not like, well, you know, Lord, um, I know you're really busy. I know you got a lot of people. I kind of just wrote out uh, one, one request, one request. I'll just slip it under the door and I'll get out of your hair. No. That's not drawing near. That's not drawing near with confidence. Drawing near with confidence is more like, Lord, I'm here because of what Christ has done for me. I'm here because of the Holy Spirit that you gave me as a deposit of my inheritance. I'm here because you brought me into the new covenant. And because you're my high priest, and Lord, I got some burdens today. And I need mercy, and I need grace. And it's too much for me. And I'm not going anywhere else. I got nowhere else to go. I don't want to go anywhere else. See, that's drawing near with confidence that you're invited to. That's the throne of grace. It's a privilege for believers. Receive the invitation. Final thing, very quickly, then I'll close. Just closing this out. Rest, rest in the promise. Rest in the promise. Now, you should know verse 25 pretty well by this point. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Now, here's the final thing. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. I like the way the New Living uh, Translation says it. It says, he lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. Now, I've not <laughs> whole books have been written on Jesus interceding for believers. I'm not going to cover it all today. I just want to sketch out a couple thoughts for you, but here's the thing I want you to know. This is a major promise, 
Okay, and as believers, we're called to live by the promises of God. This is one of them. This is the promise for when you start worrying, is this Christian life thing all on me? I mean, I'm trying. I've read the promises, but man, if it's all on me, I know my capacity for failure. What's going on here? And this is the promise to remind you, oh, no. There's so much more going on behind the scenes in your life. I love this quote by uh, (laughs) Scottish preacher Robert Murray McChain. He says this. Please take this in today. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Isn't that great? You know, when I was a younger Christian, and I, I remember reading about Jesus interceding for me, it actually didn't bring me comfort. It caused me um, some angst because I had this picture in my mind of Jesus kind of going into a courtroom before a kind of cranky judge who could, couldn't care less about me, and Jesus sort of with, with his, you know, lawyer's briefcase filled with files, pulls out my file, Leo Clues, okay, yeah, 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 okay, um, God, give him another chance. Um, he's trying really hard. Uh, he's a good client, and you kind of owe me for that thing I did on earth, so uh, what do you think? And God's kind of like, fine, we'll come back to this in a few months, though. And I had this in my head. And do you know why? Because I thought to myself, how long can Jesus keep this intercession thing up? I mean, what's to stop the judge from one day saying, you know what, enough. This guy, out. He's wasting our time. We got other people. I got other people to be focused on. Now listen, if in any way that's you, major adjustment needed. Because when it says that Jesus is interceding, it doesn't mean that the Father, God the Father, is some grumpy, capricious, fly-off-the-handle kind of judge who has no interest in you. Not at all. The Bible teaches that both the Father and the Son in love pursued your salvation. So, out with that, man. Do you know what's really going on when Jesus is interceding? One of the things he's saying is, Father, you require justice. You're a holy and good and righteous God. And my friend here, this person on whom behalf I'm speaking, was guilty. I have made payment for them. I have purchased their life. There is my blood And it would be wrong, unjust, to get two payments for that one debt. Therefore, because I've made payment for that debt, I'm not asking for mercy now. I'm asking for justice. And justice is that because of this, you must give a complete embrace and acceptance of them throughout all eternity. And the Father loves to do this. And I'm telling you, that is an infallible case. That brings assurance. That brings confidence. Now, over the next few weeks, you're going to get opportunities to think, feel, and act a little differently uh, as you slow down to catch up with Jesus. I'm really excited about that for you. It's going to be an amazing summer. All I wanted you to hear today at the very front end of this, ready, set, pause, simply was this. Know the name. Experience 
his power, receive the invitation, and rest in his promise. It all starts there. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's nobody